listening to the Dr. Claude Kirshner Show. My name is Dr. Claude Kirshner, and we are here to serve organizational leaders and agile teams who strive for excellence and differentiation. I hope you enjoy the content. If you have any questions or would like some additional resources, please visit our website at www.archconsults.com. Enjoy. And the football league is projected to have 16 million viewers in its first year then my market potential my market size is a little bit more attractive based on facts not fiction based on realistic events not stories these are things that investors want to know they want to know that you know and they're going to be tied into your financials too they're going to tell the story of your financials they're going to justify your numbers and you're going to have to have these assumptions as ammo when people say to you, they're going to say, what's that? And you're going to say, I'll tell you what that is. That's an increased demand due to this, this, and this. And you have to answer these questions. So you, if you walked up to them and you were super passionate about glue, and you managed glue is going to be great, the world needs it, and you did everything they said, and you're passionate about it, and you have, do you think they would invest in you if you didn't know about the financial returns? Do you think they're even on this video because they invested in people's just passion alone? No, they, they invest also to make a return. What would the return be? And it kind of segues nicely into cash flow is a new venture's lifeblood. Get enough accounting to see through the accruals in the cash account. Cash burn and cash build. So cash burn, so if you had that 25, you had that 5,000, and you had that 20,000 investment. Cash burn is how quickly do you go through that 25,000 bucks? How quickly are you burning your, your cash? That's what cash burns. Cash build is based on operations. How much, how much money are we now making in this organization where we're building cash? These two things, cash burn and cash build, are huge metrics for investors. How quickly, if I give you a million dollars, will that million dollars be gone? If you burn that million dollars on salaries and team building and designing your product, okay, that's fine because we want you to invest it, but how long is it going to take you to take that million dollars and put it in the company? And then cash build is okay. Now that you've burned a bunch of cash, when are you going to start operating the business? When are you going to start selling the product? So now cash is starting to stack up again. That's the build versus burn. Those are two things that investors want to know. And when, when my father and I sold our business, the majority of our business to a private equity firm, I was an operator for eight months and I had to report to a board of directors where cash burn rate was one of the biggest metrics that they wanted to know, that they were investing into this, into this platform that they're building. They want to know, okay, so now that we bought these companies and now that we're investing into this new, bigger entity, how much cash are we spending? We're hiring, we're buying trucks, we're buying companies, we are, we're building infrastructure, we're spending money to build. At what rate are we spending money? That's all they want to know. That's cash burn. You guys see why that's relevant and why that's important for them to understand? It's okay, cash burn is okay, but they need to they need to at least track it. Cash burn is actually a good thing. Entrepreneurial finance, and this these are facts. It is dangerous to assume that people act against their own self-interest. Do you think they're millionaires because they invested in people because they like them? No. Oh, you guys had a great team. No, they wanted to take their passion, they wanted to take their team. And then wanted to funnel that into a business that had a business model that earned cash 
that help them make profit over a particular period of time so that they can sell the business so that they can make more money and so that they can do it again. There's, there's self-interest in that. That's okay. It's not a bad thing. But don't be fooled <laughs> by the reality of what we're talking about. There's a ton of nonprofits out there that are doing great work. The government is funding a beautiful endeavors, beautiful philanthropic thing. And those things don't necessarily need to have the same scrutiny, the same self-interest, because you know it's different. But there is some, some self-interest in that as well. I want to help others so that maybe I have some accolades. Operating strictly out of altruism is good, and, and it happens. A lot of people in this world have done that. But again, don't be fooled by the people in front of you, and this is sort of a value system thing, that it's about a return. It's about cash bill. It's about a, a being able to grow the business so that we can sell the business so that we can exit the business. Entrepreneurial finance. Application and adaptation of financial tools and techniques to the planning, funding, operations, and valuation of an entrepreneurial venture. It's not about accounting, it's not about finance, it's about entrepreneurial finance, which are tools for planning, funding, operating, and valuing an organization. What are the differences between what's a plan? Get goals, create a plan. Once you have a plan, then you do what? You gather resources to launch the plan. So once you have a plan, once you gather resources, then you do what? Operate. And then in operations, you tend to want to know, okay, now that I, I have all this money and I have this operation, what is it worth? You know, when we would go to the bank and we would ask for a loan, what does the bank want to know? The bank wants to know, what are you worth? How many assets do you have? I'm not going to just give you money. I need collateral for it. So every single time we go to the bank, we had to value our business. Every single time we went to the bank, we had to value our business. We're valuing our business at least once a year. We had no intention on selling it, but we had to value it. How do we value it? It's either the current value of potential projected cash flows. In the future, we're, we, we expect to earn this much, so let me discount those cash flows to what that would be today. And another way would be what assets do we have minus what liabilities do we have. What have we done? What do we expect? Based on what we expect in the future, we discount those cash flows to a current value. It's called a net present value of our business. Another way to value a company is, what do we own? What do we owe? What's the difference? Difference means equity. Value. Equity. Value. Yes, it's, it's, what, it's what we own. If we, if we service our debt, and what we really own, the equity we have in our business, is the difference between the assets and liabilities. That's the second way of doing it. The third way of doing it is something called a multiplier. You take your existing margin that you have in your business, there's multiple different ways you can say it, and you put a multiplier on it, you times it by a particular amount to, to create a valuation. Current value of future cash flows, you got your assets and your liabilities, then you have a multiplier. These are three crucial things we have to understand when valuing a company. We're now sort of here at the funding, but in order to discuss the funding, we sort of have to understand the plan, we have to understand the future operations, and we also have to understand valuations. So now it's like all sort of coming together. There's something called a life cycle process. What does that sound like? It starts here, and it goes where? Through somewhere, yeah. right? But there's a starting point. There's typically an ending point. There's a beginning, and it's a cycle. And sometimes it goes back. It digresses. It's not a linear process. Sometimes it could go back to one stage, could go to the other stage. The first aspect of this life cycle 
is something called development of a venture. You're, you're formulating it, you're planning it, you're building a business model. What's the next stage? Startup. Development, startup. It's a stage. What does startup mean versus development? Probably gonna need some money. Probably gonna need to start doing some of these activities. Development is things are happening, things are moving, but nothing is uh, moving forward. We're planning, we're doing a lot of planning, we're doing a lot of talking, we're doing a lot of sitting in class, we're doing a lot of thinking, we're doing a lot of drawing. But then when we start it up, we're now on the startup stage. Both of those stages require different types of resources and different types of investments. Next stage is survival. Next stage after that is rapid growth. Next stage is early maturity. And I'm just going to put late maturity as well. And the last stage is exit, decline, or harvest. This is the life cycle framework of a business. Do we all start in harvest? No. Do we all start in rapid growth right away? No. But is it different? The amount of time we spend in each of these depends on the entrepreneur, depends on the venture, depends on the funding. An evolution of a business concept. It's the evolution of a business. It's the growth cycle. This could literally take six months. This could take two days. And then eventually you can go operate. You can be in rapid growth within a year. You could literally be in development, startup, and survival for 50 years if you want to. You never make it to rapid growth. Never. Is that okay? Depends on what you want to do. Depends on the goals of the entrepreneur. Depends on the expectations of your investors. So this life cycle framework, it requires a different type of person. It requires a different skill set to go from development to startup, yeah? You have the, do you have the chutzpah? Do you have the, I'll just say, the courage to start your business? Some people say yes, some people say no. That's okay. Going from development to startup takes courage. It takes foresight. It takes chutzpah. Whatever you want to say, that, it's got to go from here to here. There's a lot of things that, first of all, a lot of people aren't in this class. A lot of people don't want to start a business. A lot of people are very cool with working for other people. That's not you. At least we're assuming that's not you. So you're now on the development stage. Congratulations. That's a celebration. Going from development to startup is a whole new game. Going from startup to survival, meaning now you've launched this business. Now you have operations. Now you have expenses. You have responsibility. You have cash flow needs. That's survival. Going from here to here to here is a big deal. Going into rapid growth is a whole new game. It requires a new set of skills. Requires a new set of team members, requires uh, maybe different leadership, requires maybe significant investment or debt, whatever that looks like. And then going from rapid growth to early maturity, this is a good thing. We've grown to the point now we're pretty much cruising here. So when we're cruising in life, either we're going up, we're staying the same, or we're going down, we're declining. We're, not, we're too slow to keep up with the environment, we're too slow to manage our employees well enough, we're, we're, we're declining. So once you're, you're in this rapid growth and you sort of gotten to this point where you're pretty big, you got a couple options here. You either sell the business, business goes down or at least fails or starts to fail or whatever it looks like, um, or you can go back into the development stage and you can, you can try a new business concept or a new business something to add some energy to your business, to add a new line, to add a new entrepreneurial idea, to add a new branch, to add a new whatever. That would be back in development, or you just fall through the life cycle and you die. So that's kind of the life cycle process. But this is critical to understand through the through the venture funding concepts. The, the, this kind of lays out what funding is necessary in these different stages. 
There's something called bootstrapping. We kind of talked about it earlier. What is bootstrapping? Think about the analogy of a boot and you're putting on your boot. Who's tying your shoe? You're tying your shoe. Who owns that boot? You own that boot. What are those boot? What is that boot capable of getting you to do? What do you do with those boots? You own them. You walk them out. You get them dirty. You mess around with them. These are your boots. You take them on. You take them off. This is you control it. They're a part of who you are. So bootstrapping is creative ways to put on our boots for the business. It's dipping into our personal savings account. It's working a different job so that we can help fund our entrepreneurial endeavor. It's delivering pizzas on the weekend, same as I said before. It's, it's borrowing money from a credit card, which I don't recommend, but you can do. It's uh, getting creative with using our own resources to build the business. We're bootstrapping. We don't have much, but we got our boots, and we're, we're going to start marching. And there's all sorts of different cool things we can do with bootstrapping and different ideas of, of using our, our personal home as an office, using our own vehicle to maybe make money to lease to a friend on the weekends because we're not using it and they pay us money for it. Understanding how we can utilize our lives and leverage our resources for the greater good of ourselves and the business because it's a fun subject and it's, it's about sort of thinking and acting like a gorilla, which are creative ways to leverage resources to utilize for our business. So some people never not bootstrap, meaning they don't need any money from anyone else. They don't need friends, they don't need family, they don't need investors, they don't need debt. They bootstrap their way to success. Let's just bootstrap, guys. Why not? Let's just talk about bootstrapping for the rest. What, what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with bootstrapping, but why could maybe all of us not adopt that? Well, think about the, the stages. How long would it take us to get out of development, to get into startup, to get into survival and rapid growth if we were just bootstrapping all the time? We could, like I said, we could never make it out of development. We could maybe get to startup, but it doesn't really go anywhere. We could have survival, but maybe we'll go get a, a full-time job a couple years because it's not enough money and your significant other's having a baby and you need more money. So it doesn't inject the accountability, doesn't inject the responsibility, and it doesn't inject the formality that some businesses need. And let me try to phrase that in a different kind of way and just do a hypothetical. If you raise money from sources like angel investors, like venture capitalists, like a bank, you had some equity sources and some debt, you wake up on Tuesday morning, you gotta, you gotta work. You gotta run this thing, you gotta operate this thing, you gotta scale this thing. You, gotta, you have milestones you have to hit. Likely if you, you've got partners and angel investors, you had a plan, now it's time to execute. If you're just bootstrapping, do you have that accountability? Do you have that formality? Do you have resources to buy six vehicles and hire three people if you're just bootstrapping? What if you get $300,000 from an angel investor? Change the game. You think you just, again, take that $300,000 from the market and get then invest the $300,000. You have to get some space, you have to buy some equipment, you're going to start developing and designing. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to bring in some employees, some team members. You're going to have to give them roles and responsibilities, and you have to manage them. You're going to have to sell. This is what happens when we start receiving these different funding stages. So you got development stage, developing opportunities, and seed financing. Seed financing is you can do bootstrapping, or you can get angel investors, or you can get venture capitalists. You can do that kind of stuff. Typically, that doesn't happen at, at the development stage. It typically happens around the startup stage with some startup financing. So seed financing are funds needed to determine whether the idea can be converted 
into a viable business opportunity. Survival stage, gathering resources, managing and building operations and first round financing. Rapid growth phase, stage, managing and building operations and second round team and liquidity stage financing. A series one or a, we're calling it here, first round is really, okay, now that the business has been established and we've generated some cash from this business, now let's put this money in and let's, let's generate more cash. So the, the plant has officially grown. Now we're putting fertilizer on it. There's so much you can say about development. There's so much you can say about startup stage. There's so much you can do here. And all of these stages have such relevancy, but all these stages are different, and all these stages require different kinds of resources in order to bring them. The goal is to bring it through these stages, to see an exit, to see a return on equity. Not all of them make it. Some of them exit a survival stage. Uh, series A, Series B, these are funds needed to take the venture from having established a viable business opportunity to initial production and sales. And venture capital, venture capitalists, business angels, and investment bankers are different types of investors along these stages. What is venture capital? I mean, you don't, what if you don't need money? What if you bootstrap? What if you don't want venture capital? Is this the only source of money? So venture capital's early stage financial capital often involving substantial risk of total loss. So it's risky. They're going to take equity. They're potentially going to lose all of their investment. Venture capital is not easy to manage. Venture capitalists are individuals who join informal organized firms to raise and distribute venture capital to new and fast growing ventures. Business angels, wealthy individuals operating as informal or private investors who provide venture finance for small businesses. This in your earlier stages is more plausible, more feasible than venture capital. If you can find, if you can bootstrap your way, which means you're delivering pieces on the weekend, you're managing your business, you're delivering pieces on the weekend, managing your business, and you're going to school, this kind of stuff, and then your, your customers, is another model to talk about customer-funded business. Your customers can fund your business. The more customers you get, the more money you get, the more money you have to reinvest in your business, the more customers you get, the more money you get, the more money you have to reinvest in your business, the more customers you get, the more money. So you can fund your business through customers. There's a whole book written, which I'll, I'll recommend it at some point via email, called The Customer-Funded Business by John Mullins. It is an avenue here. You don't need any of this. You bootstrap your way to a customer-funded business. Very plausible. In order to create a product for customers, you need what? Product. In order to create the product, you need money. So there are some instances where you're going to need a venture capitalist. You're going to need a business angel, or you're going to need some serious bootstrapping skills. Or you're going to need your mom's friend who's a loan advisor and is, is capable of giving you a line of credit or a credit card that you can spend money on. So what I just said is you you could bootstrap, you could find a venture capitalist, or you can find an agent. It depends. But all of those are options. Some of them are more plausible and viable than others, depending on the stage your business is in. I know venture capitalists are very unlikely to invest in a business that doesn't have a minimum viable product and doesn't have some product market fit, some customer base. So therefore, you're much more likely to find potential debt resources or you're much more likely to find an angel investor, or you're much more, much more likely going to have to bootstrap your way to figuring something out. It's not a high likelihood that venture capitalists will invest in a company that just has an idea. Very, very low likelihood. They have to have something to show for it. First round equity funds provided during the survival stage cover the cash shortfall when expenses and investments exceed revenues. 
that's like when we were developing the app in those first six months, that's what that first round of financing is for. So you can have a salary so that you can have an office space so that there's going to be some costs incurred, but we need to develop this app in those six months. So we need the first round. Second round financing for ventures in a rapid growth stage to support investments is work and capital. So this is now we have some product market fit, we have some revenue. Now we're gonna have to take it to the next level. We're gonna have to expand this into like India. So you get a second round. Mezzanine round, mezzanine round is funds for plan expansion, marketing expenditures, working capital, and product or service improvements. A company is doing really well and they, they need more resources because they don't if they don't get more resources, they're not gonna be doing even better. So they need mezzanine. Formidable operating business that has demonstrated its its ability to earn is going to be looked at differently and can still be invested in big time. It's going to be looked at very differently than a first round, second round, or a, um, a seed round. Seed round is really super risky, super not quite sure what's going to happen. If they even get a seed round, congratulations, that doesn't happen very often. Then now you get to build and develop whatever. You build and develop, and now you're, you're seeking like the next stage. You're going to need first round or series A, which means that you're going to want to add some, some steroids to this company. First round. Second round is okay, like we've added steroids, we're good, we've got a leadership team, we're in place here, but we need to expand in India. We need money, we need to buy in India, we need to go over there, we need to hire people over there. We need a second round. And then mezzanine round is like, all right, like we're cooking and burning here, and if we're gonna now we have competitors in this space, and now we need to go buy a competitor, or we need to just put the competitor out of the business. So we need the best of the best, XYZ. So we need more money to put onto this company so that we can make more money. So there are four different types of companies, four different things that entrepreneurs create. They create survival businesses, lifestyle businesses, managed growth businesses, and rapid growth businesses. So when you set out to create the venture, and I think you talked about it earlier, what are your goals? You just have a business that feeds your family? You just want to survive on it, which is fine. Maybe not make much of a hand to mouth, like, hey, I made some money here, I'm gonna buy some coffee here, how to make some more money, gonna pay my groceries over here. And make some more money like that's a survival business uh, a cleaning service a, uh, a one-man electrician maybe not an electrician but like a plumber does all the work himself it's paid in cash survival a lifestyle business is hey made some money get some money over here spend some money over here make some more money save some money like it's a little bit more margin it's a little bit more lifestyle i can go on a trip with my family it's a gas station a dunkin donuts franchise it's business a landscape business whatever it looks like lifestyle a little bit more formidable one or two locations maybe a restaurant whatever um, managed growth tech is involved it's uh, leverages economies of scale it grows more rapidly there's usually a multitude of different offices or locations that are likely hiring at a high rate and then you have the last type of business which is a rapid growth business significant amount of investment it's going to be a Google uber tesla type of company four different types of ventures if you have a million dollars of seed financing you're gonna have to look for people who specialize you're gonna have to find a creative director or let's call them a marketing person you're gonna have to find a financial person a cfo who's gonna manage this money where's this money going and you're gonna have to learn how to manage and operate a business so these are just the different Aspects, best practices of high growth and performance firms. They have to be good at these things. 
You hire someone for $80,000 a year, and in six months later, they don't know how to put together financial statements, you got a problem. If month one, they don't have to put, know how to put together financial statements, you got a problem. You have to find somebody. We have to find people who understand financial statements. So there's this thing about, all right, we need to get out and be in the market. We need to go quick. We need to produce it. It's not always true. Speed is important. That's not everything. For some companies, for some instances, it's everything. I always try to find examples. The, the example would be if I was a digital director of the new company that makes drones follow dogs around so that the owners can see their dogs go on walks with the dog walk. So I can, so think about that. It's a pretty cool concept. Like I have a video camera following my dog around. Timing, it might be important there, not vital, but you know, what if somebody comes out with a tech and, and releases it two months before I did it? It's kind of important. Like we need the timing is important. Versus I have an awesome bakery that I just love baked goods and I have $6 million and I'm, I'm creating a new recipe for my cake and it's going to be a great cake. Like is timing really important? It's not as important. It's a commodity. It's a cake good. It's a baked good. It's not technology driven. It's not the market isn't going to be significantly different two months prior if I launch two months later. It depends on the business. Timing matters, but it depends on the type of business that you're running. So, yes, getting to market sooner is good. What happens if I get to market with my awesome drone technology? A competitor comes in, buys my, my drone technology, uses my drone technology, looks at the application, and then makes a better version of it. That can happen, right? Yeah. So the first person to market is not always the one who ends up succeeding. And there's multiple different examples of organizations out there who have launched first, and then other companies came out afterwards and did just as good, if not better. You know, the Uber Lyft. Um, you had a Blockbuster and Netflix and whatever. That's not a good example. There's a lot of companies out there that will launch, and then two months later, another company launches and does much better than the first company that launched. Can you understand why? They copy. They're copycats, and they market it better. They take all the mistakes that the original company made or whatever, and they just don't make those mistakes. Or they, they capitalize on the momentum or the buzz that's around this concept and they just do it from a different angle. Second mover advantage is just as good as first mover advantage sometimes. If I say, hey, I, I'm interested, I'm, we're gonna make $6 million in Miami selling pizzas, and, and we're gonna have two locations, you're like, hmm, how many people, how many other pizza shops is the market? The market doesn't justify, the industry doesn't justify that quantity of pizza sales. I can't say I'm gonna release a unique snorkel and I'm only going to focus on the keys, and it's we're going to sell them during lobster season, and, and we're going to have a pop-up shop, and I'm going to sell a million of them. Well, I'm not even sure if a million people go lobstering in the keys. And if, if a million people, if all a million buy your product, I still don't think you're going to make that. Like, you need to back it up with industry and market data. Your numbers, they have to be fundamentally tied to what's happening in the market, the total value of the market, the amount of the market that you're going to capture, your segment, your spending patterns within your segment. So, all right, applications. I'm a customer of yours. I like to go to events and stuff like that. And your, your initial beachhead market is going to be launching in, say, Las Vegas. And in Las Vegas, they have X amount of events a year. And uh, every time they have an event, there's typically this amount of people in them. So you add that up. 100,000 people. We expect 20% of them to use our application. If they each spend, 
$3.50 a month, boom, that's how we got our sales. That makes sense. As opposed to, well, we think we're gonna like get this amount, you know, based on what we think, based on the United States population. So do you see the difference? Big difference, huge difference. That's that's the quantitative part of it. Market size and potential, we just talked about that. If I'm in the business of selling seashells to toddlers under the age of four, not really an attractive market. Not a lot of toddlers under the age of four are gonna buy seashells, they might. Hermit crabs, think about that. Not really that attractive. Versus if I'm interested in developing a new shoe and I have LeBron James as my number one promotion guy, and we're, we're launching this at the, the advent of a new football league, and the football league is projected to have 16 million viewers in its first year, then my market potential, my market size is a little bit more attractive based on facts, not fiction, based on realistic events, not stories. These are things that investors want to know. They want to know that you know, and they're going to be tied into your financials too. They're going to tell the story of your financials. They're going to justify your numbers. And you're going to have to have these assumptions as ammo when people say to you, they're going to say, what's that? And you're going to say, I'll tell you what that is. That's an increased demand due to this, this, and this. And you have to answer these questions. We talked about cost of goods sold, gross profit, gross profit margin, net profit, return on assets, this big asset intensity. How are the things that we own producing value? So. My wife and I have this home, it's a condominium, and we're going to lease it and buy another house. And in order to justify leasing our home and not selling it, I want to know how much I can rent. How much is that asset that we own going to make us over time? That concept is the same as return on assets. Would it be better for me to rent that home or sell it, liquidate it, and put it in the stock market? Depends on my return on assets. It's the same thing with business. If you buy that, that major equipment manufacturing thing that everyone saw and looks really neat and it costs a lot of money, how much is that thing going to make you? You got to know that. Yeah. Or sell it. Sell it and invest in the stock market. You say the machine costs 10000 bucks, and I can sell $5,000 worth of cabinets next month and I make 1000 I sell $5,000 worth of cabinet and I make 1000 It's going to take me 10 months to recoup the investment on the asset. And then after that 10 months, Okay, now I sell 5,000, make 1,000, 5,000, make 1,000. So I'm making $1,000 every single month on my $10,000 investment. That's $12,000 a year on a, on a $10,000 piece of equipment. If you're making $12,000 on something that costs you $10,000 or something that you can sell today for $10,000, would you sell it for $10,000? No, you, you would hold on to it. You would utilize it. It's an asset. You would work that asset so you, you're getting a return from it and try to help you visualize these things because the financials can be mundane, they can be boring. You could sell it month one and make $10,000. Good, month 12, you got nothing making you no money anymore. But if you kept it and you worked it and you, you had that income, well you gotta work it, you gotta run it, you gotta operate it. You can't just have it sit there. Operating cash flow, free cash flow, two different things here. Operating cash flow is cash flow from producing and selling a product or providing a service. But once we develop the product, once we design the product, and month six, now we're producing operating cash flow. Now we're selling, we have costs, that's operating cash flow. Free cash flow is cash remaining after operating cash outflows. Take all that and say, we run in a good business and we got some extra cash. That's what that says. Yeah, we need money to run the business. It's operating cash flow, putting it back in the business in order to operate. 
Free cash flow is, means we operate the business, we pay all of our expenses, and we still have some money left over. That's why businesses, you, the owners get old and they're just like, let me just sell my company. They end up just liquidating everything for book value because they just, they just don't want to do it. They're not working the assets. But this is where you apply, all right, you know, based on knowing what kind of venture I want to create, based on the industry that I'm in, based on my expected return, based on the performance that I'm going to build, here's the strategy that I'm thinking about deploying when running this business, when funding this venture. To be able to articulate that to an investor, that's kind of the goal. We must invest. There's a safe way of investing, and there's this way of investing. And as investors, now we understand why they want to invest in businesses. Because businesses provide less returns and have high potential to do really well. So now as entrepreneurs, we have to talk about that. We have to demonstrate that. So that's important. Risk is something that's important, the risk profile, the amount of return, the industry. These are all different factors that factor in to the investor's decision as to whether or not they choose us, whether or not they get a safe bet, or whether or not they just sit on their money and chill for the rest of their life. Why should I invest? Let me tell you. I've talked about the industry, I've talked about the potential, I have a financial model, a minimum viable product, created a private market fit, and let me show you the financials so that if you invest in me, you're going to get a nice return. That's pretty good. All right, here's my bucks. Go have fun.